You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. It's 8 o'clock. It is the 4th Saturday of the month, so that means we're joined by Farmer Greg in the Outdoor Living Hour here at 8 o'clock. And this is actually a little bit of a preview to what's coming up in September. So fast forward two hours in our 10 o'clock hour where we spend the entire hour on one specific housing topic. Uh In September, it's focused on landscape for the obvious reasons. The summer triple-digit heat is coming to an end. Mm -hmm. It's perfect planting season. Oh, yeah. It's perfect growing season. It's perfect landscape season. It still might be toes in the swimming pool water. You may not be swimming, but it's still enjoying time outside. So it's uh, we'll be covering different topics of landscaping. You know what you should do? Into September. You should have me on the show <laughs> talking about that. Well, did, did you see the, the email? I did. Uh, was that Thursday about yeah. the first topic? Yeah. So this is kind of a preview because we're going to be talking about designing your edible landscape. Nice. This hour with yeah. Farmer Greg. And... Edible for who? For you or for the animals? Well, yes, yes, for everything. Ab- for <laughs> everything, absolutely. You know, one of the one of the uh, features in my backyard of my edible landscape is my chickens. So some of the stuff that I grow in the backyard at the urban farm is for the chickens, and you know, in per- and they make the eggs that you have for breakfast. There you go, and they make the eggs that I have for breakfast. Plus, they they're great workers. I, I'm a big proponent of having chickens in your backyard. If you have a backyard, you should have two or three hens. Because they're out there working for you. They're eating bugs. They're eating weeds. They're pooping, so they're making fertilizer for us, which is, you know, high in nutrients. Um, and they're giving us some eggs. So And extremely entertaining. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. They're so funny. Keeps, uh, keeps Heidi, my sweetheart, you know, entertained for hours every week. We will put them. So when the layers are done. Mm-hmm. Because they'll only produce good for a couple of years. Mm, four to four, four years, four, maybe five. But they'll live 15 years. Yeah, and not so much in this heat, but they will. I, I have had one that lived nine years. Nine years? Yeah, and I've been raising hens uh, at the urban farm. Uh, this will be 18 years now. We'll take a chain link panels mm-hmm. and we'll put them around our trees in the orchard where we have weeds growing up. Oh, yeah. And they'll just... They'll yep. wipe them out. They've got shade from the tree. Yep. The irrigation comes on. They have water. Yep. They're, they're my weed ears underneath right. those areas. that Because we don't trim up our orchard. We let all of the citrus grow like shrubs. Mm, nice. Protect themselves, hang yep. low to the ground. You've taken some of my classes then. <laughs> uh, I listen. Very good. Oh, well, there you go. There <laughs> I haven't because most of your classes, I'm, I'm always in here on Saturday mm. morning. Mm-hmm. So like your great American seed up coming up will be oh, at yeah. it live for that hour but then back here the other couple yeah. hours of the broadcast. but you could come to the friday night version of the great american seed up oh there's a friday night version yeah friday night we show a movie and people can scoop seeds so real quickly great american seed org. we uh once a year we buy 80 different varieties of open pollinated seeds that grow well here in the desert and people can come and scoop them up really inexpensively it's a bulk buy basically a seed bazaar so check that out and we'll be talking there next month and we'll be looking forward to getting our seeds for our fall garden and our edible landscape. So let's talk about edible landscape. It's the concept of if you're going to grow it, why not have a function of 
eating it. <laughs> eating it. Or, you know, it needs to contribute something to your yard. Absolutely. And, you know, I've been here for 51 years now. This is my 51st summer here uh, in Arizona. And interestingly enough, we're at 16th Street in Northern. I've lived within five miles of right here that whole time. <laughs> and I've gardened and, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time paying attention to what's going on in my space and what's going on here. Um, so, you know, this whole notion of edible landscaping, um, when I see people growing things that just take money, energy, time to maintain, it kind of drives me a little crazy because for so many things, we can put something in, even desert edibles, that will provide you shade. I'm uh, Really, right behind you, out the window, that's a Palo Verde. Palo Verdes are edible. You know, they put out a really nice uh, bean that's like edamame. Plus, the other thing that they do, they give us a filtered shade. So if you plant Palo Verdes and mesquites and ironwoods in your yard and let them grow up and big like mushrooms and prune them single trunks, they're going to shade your space. And one of the things that I've been playing with this month at the Urban Farm is I bought one of those, uh, you know, those little guns that you shoot. You pull little the heat gun. The heat guns, right. <clears throat> you uh, pull the trigger and it tells you how hot it is. I've been measuring the soil temperature at noon at the Urban Farm underneath shade and not underneath shade. So right out in the middle of the yard, the dirt, 140 degrees. And I went down. I know. You should see R Romy's face. My exactly. kids walk barefoot on that. They're tougher than I am. I don't uh, know how they do it. I know. <laughs> I, I don't know that I could. Um, so 140 degrees. I actually went down six inches, and it was 120 degrees six inches down. Wow. Okay. Now, 10 feet over in the shade, um, underneath the tree, uh, was like 92 degrees underneath the sweet potatoes. I like to plant sweet potatoes in my space. They're nice ground covers. Uh, they provide shade for the soil. 89 degrees underneath the shade of the sweet potatoes. So one of the big factors here in uh, edible landscaping, especially in the desert, is putting in something to shade your space. We've got to do that. Otherwise, we just cook our stuff. <laughs> That, that's a good way to put it. You just cook. You just cook it. Exactly. So, um, you know, paying attention to your space uh, is really important. In fact, often I will tell people to spend a year observing their space before they make any major changes. Because if you go through four seasons in your space, you're going to see the different amounts of rain you get, the different amounts of sun, where the shadows are at. Because, you know, the sun moves in the sky, right? Careful. I've caught you on this one before. Actually, the earth moves, but it looks like the sun moves in the sky, right? And in the winter, the sun's really low in the sky, so the, sh the shadows in our yards are very long. In the summer, the shadows are much shorter. So knowing those kinds of things about your space is really important. So observation starts in your space in creating your edible landscape. And then the, the, the other thing about observation that I always encourage people to do is walk your neighborhood. Mm. see what other people are doing, see what nature's doing in your neighborhood that's working. You know, if, you're, if you live out in the desert area out by Paestro Peak and you, you know, go walking in the desert, what you're going to see most likely is some big shade trees and uh, not a lot of stuff growing away from the big shade trees, but the big shade trees are nurse plants for growing underneath it. And the cool thing about a lot of the desert edibles uh, that I mentioned uh, Palo Verde, Mesquite, 
and ironwood is their nitrogen fixers. So those leaves, when they drop, they, they're pulling nitrogen out of the air and out of the soil and making them available for the plants. And when you're talking about walking your neighborhood, seeing what's work, or maybe what to plant as an alternate. Because mm-hmm. if you've got a neighbor that's got a well-producing lemon tree, you know as well as anyone, no two families, three or four, five families could live off of that lemon tree. Exactly. So don't plant another lemon tree. Do a lime, do a grapefruit, do an orange, do you know something else. Right, that and trade with them. And trade. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so walk the neighborhood. Great, yep. great point. Observe for a year, see how the shadows happen where the sun lines up and mm-hmm. um it, it, if you're in a town or city area obviously as that moves the if there's other buildings the time that it gets dark if you're up against the mountain mm-hmm. you know the, the time of day yeah uh, i've got a uncle that lives on let's see was at the east side of one of the mountains mm-hmm. uh, three o'clock in the winter time it's the sun's gone yeah <laughs> right so, yeah. how's it it feels much later than it than it is. It, well, the sun's been gone that long because of the mountain. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, the, you know, the, observe throughout the year. One of the main things, and we've already talked about the heat, um, is the solar aspect. And when I say solar aspect, I mean where does the sun hit us at at the particular time of day? So a northern solar exposure is on the north side of a structure. And a north side of a structure is not going to get a lot of sun. A western exposure gets sun from noon until sundown. Those are the areas that you want to start growing and building your shade in because that's the harshest area. Um, I uh, have a western-facing wall at the urban farm, and I took that same heat gun uh, out the other day, and it was 160 degrees on that block wall. So that's a heat sink in your yard. So if you have one of those that's attached to your house, that's radiate in, radiating into your house on the west side, planting shade on the west side of your house to shade that wall is going to save you significantly on your electric bill. See how I'm threading in edible landscape with all kinds of other things? And then if it's a west side or south mm-hmm. side, if you picked a vine that was deciduous, the leaves are gone, and in the summertime that direct or the wintertime that direct sun hits the wall and heats your house. Exactly. You've been listening. Thank you very much. <laughs> I know it doesn't always seem like it, but I am. <laughs> yeah. And then an eastern exposure. Uh, so a southern exposure gets sun all day. An eastern exposure is on the east side of a structure, east side of a wall, east side of a building, east side of a tree, and it gets sun from sun up until noon. And quite honestly, it's one of the best places to grow your garden. So in garden placement, if you're looking around your garden, your your space, uh, if you have an eastern exposure, that's going to be the easiest place to grow. And we'll cover more on that here at Rosie on the House. If you'd like to join the conversation, I have a question for Farmer Greg. It's one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight one triple eight Rosie for you. The text is four one one nine two three or email at info at rosieonthehouse dot com. Ain't no closing time. Ain't no cover charge. Just country boys and girls getting down on the farm. <laughs> no cover charge here. Oh, I love that. Getting down on the farm. Let's do it. Joined in studio with Farmer Greg on the Saturday morning. Ken wants to know about a grapefruit tree he's struggling with, and we'll get to his call at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. Here shortly, we're going to finish our topic though on your garden placement before mm-hmm. we move on to calls, because that. 
that really is critical. You were it's talking shade. You were talking hour of sun, number of sun hours, yeah. how the sun will change from summer to winter mm -hmm. as its placement in the sky or as the Earth moves around it, as the sun's moving around <laughs> the galaxy, <laughs> the yeah. universe. So generally speaking, the best place to put your garden is on an east side of a structure or an east side of a wall. Southern exposure gets sun all day. It's on the south side of a structure. That's doable. Uh, the western exposure, uh, it's in the summertime, it's the hottest space, but you might consider a garden on your west side for the winter time because a winter exposed garden will be warmer in the winter. And, you know, if you have a nice warm garden space, you could you might be able to grow tomatoes all winter. I used to remember the calico cow down on Central. I used to manage their garden out back and they had a western facing garden at patio garden space and uh, I quickly found out that I could grow nothing there in the summertime but in the wintertime we grew everything so just you know being cognizant and paying attention to those kinds of things are really important and there's no exact science you could get two seeds from the same plant mm -hmm. that dropped at the same time mm -hmm. and one would germinate and the other wouldn't right one would thrive and one wouldn't i had two apple trees in the front yard that i planted in 1989 or 1990 uh, and uh, one lasted 15 years one lasted 25 years the one that lived 15 years was smaller produced less they were the same rootstock they were the same tree they were 30 feet apart <laughs> And the you know the one that thrived for twenty five years was made double the double the fruit. So you just, it, I tell people about gardening in the deserts is one great big grand experiment. You just need to jump in and try. I like that one big grand experiment. Yeah. Well, let's see how we can help Ken. He's trying to get his grapefruit to survive and thrive. Welcome ah. to the program. Hey, good morning. I've got a grapefruit tree. It's about nineteen years old. Um, and it is just literally just dried up and started to die in the last week. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it's how fast this happened because the fruits shriveled and everything. It's all, so I'm, I'm pretty sure that tree's gone. My biggest question is it's about 10 feet away from a much larger, healthier lemon tree. And should I be worried? And should I get that grapefruit tree out of the ground as quickly as possible? Well, so there's so many questions to ask here. How much are you watering it? Are you overwatering it? Because uh, something like that indicates to me that maybe you're overwatering your trees. Citrus trees, uh, a good deep watering twice a month does them just fine. So if you're watering them more than that, uh, that could be causing the problem. Um, I would get yourself one of those inexpensive moisture meters. Uh, you know, they're eight bucks at the hardware store and uh, see if you're overwatering. That's, um, you know, that's the one thing I'd be, uh, I'd be con concerned about. Go ahead. I mean, you know, nothing's changed other than our weather. Nothing's changed over the last 10 years with the watering other than our weather. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, we've had a lot of rain up in North Scottsdale, so that's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, well, that could do it. That could do it. So here's the thing. A overwatered tree and an underwatered tree, they die the same way. Basically, the underwatered tree, their roots dry out, can't uptake water, and an overwatered tree, the roots rot. Um, and an indication that a tree dies immediately like that is an indication to me of uh, Texas root rot is one possibility, and uh, that's brought on by overwatering. So that's what I would check. Um, and, uh, you know, maintain the water on your other tree for sure. Check that. And in a case like that, Texas root rot, is that anything— if that was the case, 
we've ripped a tree out. Mm -hmm. Can you plant something right back in that same spot, or do you need mm -hmm. to excavate out and try and get the, yeah. every remnants of remaining rootstock Roots. from the old tree out? Yeah, yeah, because it's it's uh, you know, it's a it's hard to get rid of. And so. will it travel, or will it just stay in that same spot? Well, again, it can depends it how moist it is. Um, you know, it can travel. Uh, you know. Um, yeah, it's something you got to play with. Uh, you know, if you want to put a tree back in that same place, I'd be excavating out the soil and putting in new soil. Yeah. Now, I know he said they got a lot of rain in his area mm -hmm. of Arizona, but I don't think, I mean, you would have to have a heavy water schedule for the, I mean, even, uh, what do we get, four inches over the course of six, eight weeks? Yeah. That's not going to kill any well, citrus tree unless th the irrigation is just pouring onto it. That's true, and it depends where, you know, if you're doing water runoff, water collection, and, you know, you're pushing the water out someplace, um, you know, you just have to be really cognizant of water here uh, because you can. It, most people, when they kill trees, it's because they're overwatering their trees. It's the most natural thing to think, oh, it just needs water. Right, <laughs> and an underwater tree will droop a little bit, and if it's drooping, what are you going to do to it? Water it. So you just, it's overwatered and it's drooping. You give it more water and it droops a little more. And it, so it's, yeah, <laughs> something you have to pay attention to. Learn, observe and learn, observe and learn. That's, that's For uh, over 40 years, I've been observing and learning. We appreciate the call. Good luck with uh, your, it sounded like you had a couple citrus trees, you know, a little orchard grove there. It's, mm -hmm. It is a fun, uh, fun thing to get home, collect your, produce right off your yard and then mm -hmm. go whatever you're going to do with it we have uh some in the winter time we've got oranges for days and we've got grapefruit every morning and the summer for months in the springtime months yeah we get apples that mm -hmm. you know we we thin them out and when you start them small and they're thinning you know they're too small to really do anything with but we'll put them in a bucket and we'll feed them to the horses, horses yep. and you know they'll be our our apple thinners being able to come home and just harvest you know, your food right out of your edible landscape exactly so you would think that all right we'll talk about this after <laughs> the after the break one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight that's one triple eight rosie for you if you'd like to join the conversation still to come we're talking about creating healthy soil strategies for it and container gardens and raised beds and all kinds of good stuff. Now, you said this before, Farmer Greg. When you're growing whatever, mm -hmm. a vegetable, a tree, um, a vine. Whatever you're growing. That you're really not a grower. You're a soil cultivator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So really the the success of your garden, of your trees, of everything you're growing really is based on your soil. And I'm not talking about the dirt that you have in your backyard. Uh, healthy soil has five components and dirt is one of them. Dirt is the broken down rock. It's usually highly compacted. Uh, it's... Uh, um, Kari Spencer tells a funny story. When she first started gardening a couple of decades ago, she went out in her backyard and dug up some of the dirt out of the backyard and put it in pots and tried to grow stuff. 
It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. So our jobs. When uh, you say um, walk your neighborhood and observe, you can out west of Phoenix on 10, that stretch, where there's only creosote growing for miles. Mm-hmm. If other things could grow there, it would. It would. <laughs> there's yeah. a reason only creosote and the, uh, grow. Yeah, well, and according to Emily down at Tanks Green Stuff, uh, down in Tucson, we have less than 1% organic matter in our soils in the desert. That's a problem. So if you're trying to grow in that, good luck. It's not going to work. So you need to become, a, as you mentioned a moment ago, a cultivator of healthy soils. So real quickly, and you don't need to write this down, but there's five components of healthy soil, because, I, uh, and I'll go over them, but there's a real easy fix. Okay. And that's what you really need to know is what the fix is. Um, so five components of healthy soil are dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. And when you get a good mix of all five of those, you're going to, you know, you're going to be a lot more successful growing food. So the quick fix is add organic matter, add compost, add planting mix, uh, add healthy soil to get your soil healthy (laughs) and composting can be a science of its own but it's fairly simple because even even a messed up compost Mm -hmm. is better than matter that's right (laughs) it's organic matter here's what i often will tell people to do if you have a garden bed um and it's on the right exposure so on an eastern exposure southern exposure maybe a western exposure and there's no Bermuda or nutgrass growing in it. That's a key piece because if you plant a garden in Bermuda and nutgrass, the Bermuda and nutgrass is going to take over your garden. That's a whole conversation itself. We should talk about that at some other time, how to get rid of it. But the, the short answer is you have to dig it out. So if you have a garden bed, there's no Bermuda and nutgrass in it. Uh, often what I will do is add three to six inches of a good planting mix or compost right on top, and I'll plant right in that. And what happens is at the interface between the compost and the, and the dirt, your dirt, um, it, once it gets wet, the activity starts in it, and it'll loosen up. I don't care how hard it is. It'll eventually loosen up. And the roots of the plants you're growing are going to do the digging for you. So just simply by adding four to six inches of organic matter right on top of your garden bed and planting, um, you're going to save your back. It's going to be a lot easier, and you're going to let the plants do the work. So that'll help. You may not get carrots your first year. (laughs) Not very long ones. (laughs) And you'd be surprised. You'd actually be surprised. My friend Steve called me a few years ago and said, Jan wants a garden. Steve's a longtime family friend. East side, um, so it's in eastern exposure. There was no Bermuda nutgrass. I went in, and in 45 minutes, I added six inches of planting mix, and we planted, and we planted fall crops. So we were planting snow peas and carrots and uh, beets and that kind of stuff, and she got an amazing garden. So what really counts is the quality of the soil you're adding on top. And then what happens over time, because in my front yard at the urban farm, I've been doing this process for probably the entire time I've been there, 30 years, 29 years, um, the soil works its way, the healthy soil works its way down. So in my front beds at the the urban farm, when I dig down, I've got nice healthy soil down 18 inches 
because what's happened over the past 28 years, 29 years is the roots have done the work, the, the, you know, it's gotten mixed and it just builds healthy soil over time. And each year it just gets better than the year before on the soil. Exactly. It gets better than the year before. So on a healthy soil, are you adding a lot of fertilizers? You walk through nurseries Mm -hmm. and garden centers and there's, uh, every fertilizer like, oh there's a tomato one special for tomatoes mm-hmm. one special for this and uh what do you do yeah <laughs> what do you do so here's the thing according to elaine ingham she's a, a, a world-renowned soil scientist if you have healthy balanced soil remember i said the fifth component of healthy soil was everything that's alive in the soil the microorganisms the fungi the bacteria that is the so on and so on those if, if the soil is really healthy, those are actually mining the nutrients out of the soil that you have there so that the plants can thrive. So in theory, if you do it exactly right, that is your fertilizer. That is your fertilizer. Now, we're in the desert. You know, that's challenging. We have jobs. We have kids. We've we have, got schedules. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I do use a, a nice organic fertilizer. Uh, when we plant our trees and when we plant our gardens, I also use uh, azomite, which is a micronutrient. So when we're talking fertilizers, there's um, macronutrients, which is your NPK, which is most fertilizers, and then there's micronutrients. And it's the micronutrients that when it's added to your soil, it brings flavor to your food. So you want to make sure, and I, I add azomite to my soil uh, to bring those micronutrients into, you know, into play. Azomite. A-Z-M-A-Z-O-M-I-T-E. Azomite. Yeah. And where do you get azomite? Well, you can get it at our pop-up the nursery. Azomite in, mine somewhere? Yeah, in Utah, there's an azomite mine. Exactly. You can get it at our nursery, our pop-up nursery, which will be open in October and November. Um, and then at the uh, tree event, the you know, our fruit tree pop-up nursery that'll happen in January and February. We have it available there. Uh, you know, I've seen it available in some local nurseries. Uh, you know, you might check Barry's Hardware at 12th Street and Northern. He might have it. If he doesn't, he will, because he's starting to carry all this stuff I say that we need to carry. So he's listening, too. He's listening, too. Exactly. <laughs> Listen and grow. So azomite, and what is, is it something you and the mix is it something you could put on the top soil you just put it on top it's a it's a granular thing you put it on top it breaks down when the water hits it and kind of seeps in all right so, so now when we're talking uh soil growing you've got a, a point here about lasagna gardening oh yeah 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 so is it is that planting enough different varieties that you can make a lasagna well that's one that's one way of doing it yeah that's not what we're talking about here though there's actually a book out on the market called lasagna gardening uh in permaculture we call it sheet mulching like your bed sheets and basically what we do in lasagna or sheet mulching uh, is you put down layers of organic matter like lasagna and over time it composts in place it cold composts in place and you can that's a, a a fairly quickly quick way to make soil so you put a layer of browns maybe six inch thick layer of leaves that you collected from the neighborhood um, and then uh, put some uh, manure or fertilizer on top of that just a little bit and then another layer and then another layer of fertilizer and so on and so on and I've actually sheet mulched uh, 24 to 36 inches deep before 
Wow. Um, and what happens over time, it's this light, fluffy stuff. And what happens over you know, the course of the next six months, it breaks down to two inches of really nice, healthy soil. So that's yeah, your lasagna that, gardening. That, that 24 inches doesn't stay that depth very long. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. You know, one thing I noticed that um, we haven't touched on yet is uh, when to plant. Uh, something really important uh, that you need to know is, uh, you know, what do you plant when? And where do you get stuff to plant? Um, we have, um, you know, I was at, uh, in uh, March or April, I was at one of the big box stores. And over 50% of the things that they were selling were not climate appropriate. So they would never make food here or they weren't season appropriate. And season appropriate means you're planting them at the right time. You don't want to plant broccoli in March. It's, it's not going to do anything. You don't want to plant watermelons in October. I don't want to plant broccoli any time of the year. Oh, there you go. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. It's one of my favorite things. So um, I actually created a planting calendar. You can find it at plantingcalendar.org. That's plantingcalendar.org. Just go there, download it. It's free. Uh, as an added bonus, you're going to get put on my email list for all of our local cool events, which I'm going to tell you about one that's coming up, two of them that are coming up next weekend. Um, but making sure that you know what to plant when and don't trust the nurseries. You've got to do your own research. This is, uh, this is where growing food in the desert is a great big grand experiment. Oh, and the tags on the plants, full sun doesn't mean Phoenix full sun. <laughs> so, you know, we, ha we have to adjust for the fact that it's hot as blazes in the summertime and, you know, things cook for about four months a year here. This is true, and most of those big grafters and growers, they're coming out of California, they're mm -hmm. coming out of North Carolina, Washington. Uh, yeah, full sun in Northern California is a whole lot different. And, you know, it's it, Phoenix, when you're looking at the size of the in Arizona, the U.S., it's a small portion of the country. Yep. So, you know, they are growing in, for the masses, which, you know, makes sense. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, you just have to be a conscious very shopper. unique uh, – environment and you had mentioned phoenix well, we're 100 miles away from 9,000 feet elevation and flagstaff flagstaff <laughs> yeah exactly exactly well and one of the better places to grow for those of you that are listening in the uh, verde valley area that is a great place to grow it's much more climate temperate than than we are here so and a, in a pretty area oh and a beautiful area river running year round yep yeah yeah that's uh that that is a golden golden spot of the state. Yeah, I I, I like the Verde Valley. If, I, if it wasn't for I seventeen, <laughs> right? If it that, wasn't if it wasn't that I was planted so solidly here for fifty one years and Heidi for forty seven years, that's probably where I'd be moving. Oh, there's a, a pecan orchard there. Oh yeah, that's stunning. Right all up to the riverbed. Mm -hmm. um, you can one of the fun things to do is take a kayak. And, you know, it takes two people because mm -hmm. you can put one vehicle at the pickup point at the end mm -hmm. and then drive everyone back to the the uh, top, the top, yep. put in, kill an hour, uh, a couple hours, or I'd say an hour, kill the day, just gradually going through yeah. uh, Camp Verde. And we've taken that. Uh, you got to know the get out point because if you miss it, uh, you're you're down at Horseshoe Lake four days later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to be prepared and you got to know your you takeout go. point. But that's a that's a great area to kayak and canoe. Yeah. 
The Verde yeah. Valley. Yeah, you so. got me sidetracked here. There you go. <laughs> All there right, we go. got one segment left here in the Outdoor Living Hour. We're talking about edible landscapes as we're going into the premier planting season for Arizona, for anywhere below the rim. Here, if uh, And we've got a couple calls we'll get to right after this here at Rosie on the House. Here's to the farmer that plants the fields in the spring The turn from green to that harvest honey Pull one up for the banker downtown They got him on his feet with handshake of money <laughs> We were just kind of talking were, were you listening to our conversation? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Of course If I could find the right button to say of course <laughs> Nice. We were just talking about you know the fine balance in life, um, in helping your kids get started. Yeah. And overindulging and not making them work for it. There's there's a balance. You know, you can't. You you, you got to give them a strong foundation to start yeah. on, but you over provide and they never hit their potential because. They're too used yeah. to just, uh, well, it's going to be handed to me. Yeah. Well, and and the, really the conversation was we were appreciating our parents. Yes. <laughs> for, the, for what they did and didn't do. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Before we jump in, I want to, I, I got a couple things. So I am big about education. That's what I do. The Urban Farm's all about educating people about growing their own food in the desert. I have been at it since uh, the late I know you're getting 80s. hesitant to admit this. <laughs> The late 80s, but I've been actually growing food here since 1974. I planted my first garden here at, at the Weldon House in 1974. And, and when we're talking about potentials and big dreams and visions, your whole goal is just to make the desert area uh, self-sustaining on its own Food. Food. Yeah, I call that's it. That's pretty ambitious. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, I have it probably, I'm 57. I probably have another 30 years to go before I check out. And um, my goal between now and when I die is to make Phoenix a food secure place. Um, not me personally doing it. It takes a lot of people out there to get it done. And so my goal is just to educate. And so we, uh, on a biweekly basis, twice a month, we do uh, free lectures um, at, uh, a local church here in, in North Central Phoenix. Uh, it's not associated with the church. They just provide us the space very nicely. And so coming up this Friday night, Kari Spencer is giving her famous class on container gardening. And, uh, I'm, you know, that always is great turnout, great, great information. So we've got that coming up. She doesn't bring a bucket full of dirt anymore. Uh, she probably will. <laughs> so that's what she does. She, you know, it's like this is what yeah, that's how she does it. She's a show and tell kind of person. So that's got uh, coming up on uh, this this coming Friday. It's free. We do ask for a donation if you're so motivated. But um, it's a free lecture. And uh, starting at 630, you can go to urbanfarm.org. It's listed on the front page. Um, the other thing is uh, coming up next Saturday is our. 19th annual, which is mind-blowing to me. This is the 19th year that I've educated people about fruit trees in the desert. So starting September 1st, uh, we launch it with this amazing event. Uh, it's a free half-day event. We're going to give away some fruit trees and garden consults and that kind of stuff. But we, I'm bringing in a speaker from San Diego who's going to talk about extreme fruit tree care. Uh, really, it's extreme tree care. What do we do to, to in the desert... That's extra, that, so we can have our trees survive because it is so harsh here. And he actually planted out 2,200 coffee bean trees in 
the San Diego area. Now, coffee beans aren't going to grow here really well, but uh, the way he planted them, in two years, he only lost two trees, which is amazing that he would have, you know, planted that many that many trees and only lost two. The other amazing thing is, is that normally they expect to harvest out uh, after about four years. They had a 500 pound harvest the second year. So whatever Scott is doing in the extreme tree care arena, it's working really well. So we're flying him in. He's coming in on Friday and bringing him in to talk. We've got a speaker from Tucson talking about soil and building healthy soil. And then I'm going to be talking. It's a free half-day event. You can find out about it on the front page at urbanfarm.org. You mentioned somebody from Tucson, and I know you've been working with Tanks Green stuff, and you mentioned them earlier. Uh-huh. Are you guys still getting your— Oh, your... yeah, 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 yeah. So Emily is coming in from Tucson to speak. She's with Tanks Green stuff. They've actually created— a planting mix that is perfect for our soil here, and it's called Farmer Greg's Planting Mix. Um, and it's a really, really nice product. So she's going to be talking about that. And um, yeah, that's somebody else you need to bring in with you sometime. What that company has done. Oh, it's amazing. Was, and you know what? Why didn't we think of that? <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> the perfect opportunity to have thought of that. <laughs> oh, we've got some phone calls. <laughs> okay. Gary's. Uh, Gary's all right, let's uh, see if we can help John here real quick as we wrap up this Outdoor Living Hour with Farmer Greg, uh, theurbanfarm.org. John, go ahead with your question. Hey, Romy, thank you very much. Hey, listen, um, a friend of mine tells me that uh, he uses coffee grounds in the garden, uh-huh. and um, he swears by just uh, throwing a lot of gypsum uh, in all of his uh, landscape soils and everything. Uh, says something about uh, it unlocks all the nutrients uh, in the soil. I was wondering if uh, you guys could expand on that. Uh, good question. Um, I am. Uh, I don't use gypsum a lot because I've spent a lot of time making healthy soil. If you add a lot of organic matter, the what's going to unlock the uh, you know the nutrients is all life in the soil. Uh, coffee grounds are awesome. Uh, you can overdo it, so a lot of the coffee houses will give you coffee grounds, so you want to be careful of how many you add all at once because they have the, they have a tendency to be a little bit more acidic. Um, however, we have alkaline soil, so that helps. So coffee grounds are great. I haven't used a lot of gypsum in the past, but I hear it's, uh, you know, it's something that works. Um, I like to add organic matter. Yeah, and I don't know about releasing nutrients. It, it more just breaks up the hardness of the soil. Of the soil, yeah. And then when it, the hardness is broken up, then that creates a better environment for things to start moving and living and growing. Yeah. All those other things you had mentioned. So, as man, always, are we done we're already? Never, we're never enough time. Oh, man. With Farmer Greg here in the Outdoor Living Hour. You can find more about Farmer Greg at theurbanfarm.org. Urbanfarm.org, yep. And the Great American Seed Up is... Uh, September 21st and 22nd at greatamericanseedup.org.